Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and on the podcast, we discuss all aspects of technology and life in international schools, with new episodes live every two weeks. We focus on people who are currently working in schools, and we talk about life in their current country and dive into some specific topics. The podcast is brought to you by Acer for Education. People always ask what Chromebooks we recommend and what Windows laptops we recommend, and after trying literally all of them, we always recommend Acer. If you'd like to get more info and try out some devices, please just go to gg.gg forward slash Acer Education. That's gg.gg forward slash Acer Education, and we'll get right back to you. Also, the podcast is brought to you by Apps Events. We're a Google partner. We work all around the world. We've just got one piece of new information right now. This is in, in January 2021. We're a G Suite Enterprise for Education partner. That's Giuseppe. This is a bunch of premium tools available to people using Google at their schools. We can help you get set up with a free one-month trial. So please check out the link in the show notes, and we'll do that right away. And now, on to the interview. Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. John Micton here, co-host, and Dan Taylor is not with us and will be joining us next session. I'm really excited to have our guest here today, Damien President, who I actually know because I hired her to work as a digital learning coach at the International School of Prague quite a few years ago. And really today, I feel so privileged to have her here because she's done a journey being an educator and moved to being a podcaster and doing a lot of other work. And hopefully today, we'll kind of learn from Damien why did you do these changes and what are some lessons if educators around the world are thinking of becoming a podcaster or maybe they have a passion that they would like to engage with and really dig deep into? What are some maybe points of reference and ideas that Damien can share as wisdom? But first of all, Damien, thank you for being here. It's so nice to see you. It's lovely to see you again, John. I'm and, very happy to be here. Yeah, and so maybe Damien... Maybe just for the audience, you know, share who you, you know, your biography, kind of a bit of your educator journey, because you've worked in many international schools, and then that transition. So maybe do the bio, and then we'll talk about more the, the podcast and some of the work that you're doing. Okay, well, John, I like to talk about myself as being a world citizen and also being a curious learner. And so these are the two identities that I take on the most because although I was born in the Caribbean, I moved to Canada as a teenager. And since then I've lived in India, Sudan, Japan, and now Czech Republic. And so in terms of the education teaching journey, I started off working in India and that was as a math teacher slash technology coordinator. It was Basically, I applied to be a math teacher and they said, we have a math teacher, but would you consider being the tech coordinator since you have an undergraduate degree in computer science? And I said, sure. So that's how it all started. <laughs> and from, I stayed in India for two years. I didn't want to get too comfortable. So I then moved to Sudan and I chose Sudan because someone told me the people are nice there. And I thought, okay, regardless, I'll be able to figure, out, figure it out in a place where the people are nice. And in Sudan, I taught grade eight math and I was the tech coordinator there and teaching computer classes as well because it was a very small school. And then from Sudan, I moved to Japan to International School of Nagoya and I stayed there for four years. I also stayed in Sudan for four years and that job was tech coordinator as well. A lot of administration in terms of managing servers and then also doing some teaching in middle school and high school. And from there, you hired me into International School of Prague. That's right. Yeah. And there I mostly worked for elementary school teachers. And so either co-teaching with them and assisting teachers in how to use digital tools and teach digital lit literacy to children in elementary school primarily. So Fantastic. So I know that after I left, you continued working in that capacity of a digital learning coach. And then you obviously decided to do something very different and actually leave the education space in the sense of the traditional education space, being associated with the international school, being a teacher, educator, 
and now you've kind of taken that on a new journey. Talk to me a bit about what what happened. What, what was was there like a a moment or a, a rock fell on your head or whatever it might be <laughs> that you know maybe said you suddenly said you know what I want to go off on my own. It was nothing as dramatic as a rock falling on my head, thankfully. But, <laughs> so I had been in education for 14 years by then, working in schools. And I think I, get, I became a little bit frustrated that I was having a lot of the same conversations. And so when I looked at my career, I found it was very interesting and it was very rewarding. But I thought that I kept following the same cycles over and over again. And when so, I talk to you there, they yes. talk to me about, about the same conversation. So it sounds like there was kind of almost an existentialist component to it that you were just always having the same conversations in very different settings, Sudan, Japan, India, and then the Czech Republic. But what were those conversations that kept getting repeated? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of my mindset was, oh, my job is going to become obsolete in a few years because everybody's going to be so used to technology and it's and there has been the same language of technology being ubiquitous in schools and being infused in the curriculum naturally and teachers just becoming more naturally with technology. And I didn't see that happening. And so I think I expected that we would have evolved into a place where many of those prophecies of technology and the, the switch it would make doing having schools would have happened. And I just found myself still saying, okay, let's, technology is a crucial component of learning in schools. And let's see how we can best use technology to, to use the affordances of technology to create a leap, to create a shift, to create something different from what we've always been doing. And while there were teachers that embraced it, and those were the teachers that didn't really need me, there were other teachers that had some resistance to this idea. And part of my challenge was to figure out, is it resistance to the idea really? Or is it that they're just overwhelmed with things? And so my question then became, when does technology get prioritized? How do we make it in a way so that it's being planned and it's being scheduled in tandem with everything else that we do so that it's not a, stag a tag on, so that it's not when we have time. And it felt like I was always chasing time. And so I went back and thought, is this what I want to keep doing? And that's when the answer became, no, there are other things that I would like to do as well. So based on that deliberation reflection, then you said, okay, I want to do something else. Talk to us a bit about some of the things, because you're doing quite a few different things. You have a podcast, you're doing some technology consultancy. Uh, I'm thinking maybe there's a baking component in there too. Uh, <laughs> and so... Talk to us a bit about how did you kind of frame that, you know, first of all, that's a big step, you know, it, being an international school teacher, you get the salary, you get the benefits, and suddenly jumping out of that, there's, of course, a financial component, but there's also the unknown and a certain risk that you're engaging with. Maybe talk to us a bit about that. What, what were you thinking and how did you frame that? Yeah, and that was a big part of the thought process because... Since I finished university, I had always been working in a capacity where I could always have money, where I could always take care of myself. And so when I thought, okay, if I'm, if I'm not going to be a teacher, if I'm not going to be able to count on a salary, what does that mean for my life? And so I'm a very systematic thinker. So the first thing I thought was, okay, what would make me feel okay not working for some time? How long could I not work for? and give my myself time to think and consider and find something else that's different. And so the first step was to actually plan out saving some money so that I could not work for six months, for eight months, for a year, and not feel the pressure to accept whatever came back. For me, I, I wanted it to be such that I didn't have to go back into teaching unless I really felt called to it. And so I think for listeners, if you're thinking about changing careers from what it, either into teaching or out of teaching, if you, you, it's very familiar if you're already a teacher. And so 
I know that I could get another job or I knew then I could get another job and be very comfortable doing what I was doing and making a good salary. But I wanted to remove that bridge for myself. And so it was like, okay, I am saying I'm leaving this job. For myself, I removed that net and said, I am leaving teaching. That doesn't mean I can never go back, but I'm leaving teaching and I'm going to find, I'm going to reconnect with those other dreams that I had and other passions and interests and curiosities that I have and find something else that I can do. And that process took some time. So you talk about the financial net. So you saved some money and you obviously decided you need that space, that kind of gap where there is nothing and you can kind of start really thinking about what is the next step. How long did that take you? You know, what was the kind of the, the, the cushion that you gave yourself? I'm just thinking because I think a lot of educators around the world often come to that point where there is that kind of feeling like, I'm just, it's a broken record, you know, especially I think as digital learning coaches where we're coming in as outsiders trying to support teachers to consider using these digital tools. It could be the same with EAL or many other things. So just, you know, what kind of timeline did you give yourself to not have an income coming in? And is there any thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience some, some you know, wisdom or advice? So I gave myself a year, but at the same time, I knew that I wasn't really going to be doing nothing for a year. And so I started taking some classes. I didn't want to while away the day watching Netflix, you know, or reading books, both of which I enjoy. And so I ended up taking some classes. Um, I took some courses from Seth Gordon. He has a course on podcasting. He has an MBA. He has a bunch of other courses. I took some course on Coursera, on happiness. Um, on I took a course, another course on Coursera, on learning and how to learn. And so I kept busy. And I also explored the different job opportunities in Prague to find out what might be possible or what might be open to me. In, in, in the non-education space? Uh, no, outside of education. And so in terms of the education space, I did start doing some consulting. And so I did a bit of trainings for teachers. And then I thought, no, Damian, this is too close. You're still remaining too comfortable. <laughs> and so I, had to st I decided to stop that too. But another element of that was that I was in the Czech Republic and I wanted to remain in the Czech Republic. So I needed to get a visa type that would allow me to stay in the Czech Republic. And so I managed to get a trade license to, to stay in the Czech Republic. And there are some minimal amounts of money that you have to make on a yearly basis for this license. So I, I figured as a native English speaker, one of the things that I have going for me is that I could do editing. I could do proofreading and I actually enjoy that kind of thing. So I found work with as a consultant, as a freelancer with one of the companies here and uh, I worked with them making my own hours, working from home and worked maybe about 10 hours a week. Eventually I started working more, but initially 10 hours a week so that I could make the minimum uh, amounts for the year. And then I found that actually those 10 hours a week kind of paid for a lot of my expenses. And so it, it kind of removed some of the stress of just living off of savings. And I enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're doing this, you, you found some, you know, some income to keep you not digging into your savings. Talk to about, about the, the, the podcast and this whole world that you have engaged with. And, and it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And your guests are very provocative and inspiring. This idea of changes, small and big. Am I getting that right? Or am I it is big it and small. <laughs> changes big and small. Because yes. I think, you know, especially with the pandemic, and what we all have gone through globally, you know, everybody has had a very complex and nuanced journey and a lot has been very much an emotional roller coaster in different contexts, but globally, we've all experienced something that nobody's ever experienced. And I think what I like about the podcast and especially your Instagram uh, feed is just the positivity that you share and kind of saying that however hard things get, look at the positive side. Talk us a bit about how did that come to fruition and then the podcast and really focusing on that and also the guests that you're bringing in. 
Mm -hmm. So yeah, I started Changes Big and Small. I was trying, I wanted to have a podcast. I've been blogging for many years and I've been interested in the, in the podcasting space. And so I took a course on podcasting and I had to figure out what can I podcast about? What am I passionate enough to podcast about? And so I figured that I tend to talk to people about whatever I'm learning. And so a podcast is a great way to explore some of the things that I'm learning, some of the things that are interested, that interesting to me, and that I was uniquely qualified because I have a lot of experience with change and I have a positive attitude around change. And so the first season was very open and very loose. I just explored the concept of change, talked to a lot of people about the changes they had made in their life, kind of the story arc of how they started with smaller changes to develop bigger changes, what they learned from their journey and what they could help us listeners with from, from their own experience. And so I really enjoyed that, but on reflection, I realized I really want the podcast to be an invitation for people for action. Because one of my challenges myself with listening to podcasts and reading blogs is that I end up doing a lot of consumption. And that's great, but I don't think it's enough. And so when somebody listens to Changes Big and Small, I want them to also think of something that they can do that can help them take action in their life to live the life almost that they want. Almost become a creator of action instead of this consumption idea. Exactly, yeah. And so what came up for me when I reflected on this and talked to some of the listeners is that it's the whole idea of choice. Because often many people say, well, I don't know what I want, or I don't know what I'm going to do next. And I think we can get into that spiral of I don't know, when really there is no certainty. Like we build a certainty by deciding. And so the podcast has become this way to invite people to think about what are the opportunities that are open to you? Okay, commit to one of them, try one of them, learn from it, and then change if you need to. And so that's really what Changes Big and Small is about. And so the, the second season was about clarity and the different processes people can use to figure out what they want, why they want it, what's important to them, their values. And then season three, was on self-acceptance because that kept coming up as a possible barrier to change and clarity. Can you maybe dig into that idea of self-acceptance and the, uh, the, so the self-acceptance and that resistance to change? Because I think that's something that often people grapple with is that, you know, they, they understand the importance of change or they understand the challenge of change, but sometimes engaging in it yourself is where the challenge is and where maybe it's more difficult to kind of, you know, choreograph. Yeah. And the self-acceptance piece is a very interesting one because I do think that it's true that the changes big and small Instagram is very positive, but I think I also need to do some work on looking at how we sit with discomfort, how we sit with challenges, how we have uncomfortable conversations and scenarios that we put ourselves in. And so this whole idea of self-acceptance is has to do with the fact that we're not perfect and recognizing where we have strengths and also where we have challenges is what actually allows us to make a plan, which is what allows us to realize how we can go with the current to have the life that we want. So it's a level of metacognition that you do to realize that that current that you have to go with. Exactly. Because I think often if we're not in a state of acceptance, we're fighting against everything that, that is around us. Like it's like, this is wrong and this is wrong and everything's wrong. And how does it feel when everything's wrong? Like it's hard work, right? When we're fighting against everything. Absolutely. But if there is an, an appreciation and a recognition of what is going right, of what strengths we have, we can then see how those help us make progress as well. And we can elevate these to a point where they overcome some of our deficiencies. And when you, as you describe the three seasons and this last one with self-acceptance, are there things that happened during the pandemic that kind of provoked you or was this unrelated to the pandemic? Hmm. 
So actually, yes, I did have a mini series uh, during the pandemic, just speaking with people about how they were experiencing the pandemic. What were they thinking? What were they feeling? I had a series where people could enter in responses in a form saying what's bringing them joy and what's challenging them during the pandemic. And I think what I noticed is that a lot of it is people not wanting things to be the way they were. And so acceptance, not just self-acceptance, but acceptance more generally is something that we don't have a lot of experience with perhaps. Like we're always striving for for the next thing, for that better thing. And even just sitting in the moment and recognizing what is, recognizing what is is a big part of acceptance and self-acceptance, I think came up a lot in conversations with people during the pandemic. And do you think that pandemic in some ways gave people an opportunity to engage with this idea of self-acceptance and living in the now? Because we were in many different contexts around the world. We were in lockdown, we were in apartments and houses. Many of us were working remotely and there was no travel. In some countries, you couldn't walk a certain distance, etc. There were a lot of different permutations. And that may be that kind of stop or that pause do you think allowed people for the first time maybe to really start thinking about that? I think for a lot of people, it did provide an opportunity for them to start thinking of what, thinking about what's going on here. And I've noticed in some different environments, people switching jobs, people moving. Like I think all of that is kind of, indi- kind of indicates that people took time to think about what do I want? What what's right here for me. And uh, I think that is connected to self-acceptance because it's a recognition of what's going on in my within myself and in and within my environment that I might want to shift or move. And maybe the challenge is is how when you're not in a pandemic and in the busyness and the chaos and kind of the, the frenzy of the day, do you find those spaces to really understand that that aspect of self-acceptance is really an important component to engage with change? Right, exactly. And so it's about making space. And there are cousins or friends of self-acceptance that are related concepts. So self-care, when when it's more than just going for a manicure or or going for a good meal, but rather taking a moment to just sit and feel however you're feeling, taking a moment and recognizing that you're tired and that you need a break or a mental day or whatever. And so there are lots of habits that people can start to build into their life that is connected to self-acceptance as well. And what I like about your Instagram feed, because Instagram, everything's very short, it's kind of a TikTok uh, structure, is there was the one about the cold shower or how are you feeling now? Because often what you're actually doing is provoking people and saying, just take a pause and have a cold shower. How does that feel? And talk to us a bit about those, you know, using social media as a way to provoke your audience. Because I assume most people that are following you also are following you on your podcast. Exactly. And so... I mentioned that at some point I wanted each episode to be an invitation to people. And and in every episode, the guest provides an invitation or a challenge to listeners of something that they could do to take action in their life. And one of the challenges that really had an impact on me was on savoring. It was by David, and he talked about how savoring is really slowing down and being in the moment and enjoying what you're doing. And it could be you enter into the kitchen and you can smell the food and it brings memories of you walking into your grandmother's kitchen and you're just taking a moment to enjoy that experience. And so a lot of it is about going slow, about taking time. And I don't know if you can relate, listener, but for example, so many times I'm in a hurry in the morning, I'm running late. And so I'm trying to make a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and I spill the water. And I'm like, come on, Damian, you already know that the faster you try to go, the more mistakes you're going to make. And so the message that I try to share on Instagram is about making space, finding time, 
savoring, slowing down. And the reason that I put them on Instagram is because they're great reminders for me as well to pause, to breathe, and all of those things. So as you're doing these posts, you the, you yourself are using those as self-provocations to remind yourself to actually engage what you're preaching in. Absolutely. So one of the most popular posts that I had on Instagram was about doing the box breath. Oh, yes. And yeah. so four, four seconds in, four seconds hold, four seconds out, four seconds hold, and you repeat. And I have a many people have a, a, a smartwatch nowadays that tells you when you need to take a break or when, you, when you're feeling stressed or something of that nature. And so I have a Garmin and sometimes it tells me that my stress level is up. And I'm like, really? Why? But when it says that, then I just take a few seconds and do four box breaths. So a four box breath cycle and just taking four to six breaths is an opportunity to trigger your parasympathetic uh, mode and just get you to relax and calm down a little bit and what i like about that it's such a concrete simple thing that you can engage with and i think that's what i like about your instagram they're just like these little nuggets and it's not like you have to read a whole book it's this very concrete it's like here go and try it it doesn't take much time is that purposeful is that the idea is not to you know do a, a big blog post where there's a lot of deliberation and self-reflection it's just like Here's something concrete that you can use straight away. Yes. And as you know, John, people's attention spans are really short these days. <laughs> and so I do have blog posts and I do have show notes and I put a lot of time into them. But I also and I enjoy reading more long form sometimes. So I might read the book, but I know not everybody is going to read the book. And so I'm very happy to share what I've picked up that I think could be helpful to people through an Instagram post, through a shorter post that I think people will actually pay attention to. And so if you are interested or if anyone is interested in Instagram posts, what really gets attention are reels. And so just doing a short video where you show your process, where you show what you're doing, where you invite people to join you or a live, that seems to be really effective. And I haven't been very good with doing lives, but definitely with Reels, I get good responses from people saying, oh yeah, this was just what I needed to think about today or kind of thing. How and much interaction are you having? So you do the podcast, you have this wonderful blog and these all, just for the audience, these are in the show notes. Damien has added them in the show notes. Uh, who are who is your audience and how have you built that audience a bit so that is actually something that i'm still working on i think when i think about my audience i think it's somebody a lot like me who's kind of had a good run with whatever they're doing always do does things that are interesting but feels that calling to to connect in a different way to do something a little bit different. Isn't quite satisfied with, oh, I had one dream and I'm just going to keep doing that forevermore. But is looking at, oh, let's reconnect to our dreams. Let's take time and re reconsider the dreams that we had. And when we've done all our dreams, let's explore new dreams. And so that idea of dreaming and passion and purpose are very important to me. And I don't mean them in the conventional sense of you have to find your purpose, but rather that the actions that you take should be purposeful, that you now should that feel that. Because I think most people feel like I need a purpose in life and there's kind of this end point that you work towards. But you're saying in a far more minimalist way, it's the little actions that are purposeful, that if you exactly. do something, there is a quick return on it in that it either improves or it provokes you or it requires you to reflect. Exactly. So I see it more as being a spiral than as being like this path that you're on, but rather that, oh, there are things that, oh, I'm making some impact here or I'm connecting with people. Like it's what, I, what, what do you consider valuable? What are your values? And if you're doing things that are in keeping with your values, then you are living in purpose. You're acting in purpose. And I think that's, for me, that's more of what's important. And the guests that you have, I assume these are people part of your professional learning network, or are you just like knocking on, you're following, of course, a lot of different people. And, you know, these topics of change are definitely really uh, close to your heart. 
So are these people that you are following, reading, or talk a bit about your guests because it's a very interesting group of people. Yeah, and I started off the podcast with talking to people that I knew. So I made a list of everyone that I knew that I would love to talk about related to my topics, to the topics that I was exploring on the podcast. And then I started with the people that I thought would be most lovely to talk to, to talk with, as in they would not make it hard for me. So, and then I thought, okay, as I speak to more people that are familiar with me, where I know we can have a great conversation, I will begin to develop my skills as a podcaster, as an interviewer as well. So it gave me a chance to grow by staying with people that I knew first. And that also got me to create those first few episodes because many podcasts don't make it past 10 episodes. And now I'm at episode 85 or 87 or something. And so, yeah, and so I needed to see some momentum, like have enough people interested to keep going. And once that was done, I also joined some communities of podcasters and podcast guests. So there is a website, podcastguest.com, for example. There are other websites of that nature, matchmaker.fm and a few others, where you could connect with all the people who are either interested in having guests on their podcast or in being guests on podcasts. I also put in some requests for guests in some publications. And in fact, that was a bit overwhelming because I got so many responses of people who wanted to be on the podcast. Tell a bit about that's an interesting idea. So these are uh, online publications where you're saying, hey, this is what I do. Would you like to talk to me? I know you did exactly. LinkedIn, right? In LinkedIn, you did, you've done that. Yes, exactly. And so I, end up, I ended up getting, I don't know, like let's say almost 200 requests to be on the podcast. And so I don't really know if I would do that again, or if I did that again, I would probably change the format of it. So that people have to be a bit more specific about why they need to be on my podcast. (laughs) And actually it was, it was quite an interesting experience because I could very quickly go through a lot of them and be like, Oh, they have no idea what my podcast is about. They were just filling this out for everybody. And so there was a lot of filtering that had to happen. And then one thing I started doing with guests is ask them, knowing the topic, knowing the conversation we've just had, is there somebody else that you recommend on the same topic or that would move the conversation forward? And often I get great recommendations from guests of other people in their network that I could then contact. And... uh, Sometimes I just get cold calls. So there's been a couple, there have been a couple of cold calls where I have followed up because I thought it was a great guest for the podcast. But often with cold calls as well, it's clear that they were just messaging a bunch of, a bunch of people. Sometimes I think maybe this should be my job. I should be a, a podcast promoter or marketer because I could do so much about such a better job than these people who just email me who have clearly not even seen my website so there's some there are some job ideas if somebody's interested with the side hustle (laughs) so just for the audience you're doing this podcast i take it you're still doing some editing yes i do all the editing actually and i am thinking about outsourcing that but i'm using a tool called descript which lets you edit and create show notes at the same time and I'm no. a little bit picky. I think I'm getting close to the point of giving it off to somebody. But yeah, I am doing all the editing right now. That is, take, is what takes the most time. And are you generating an income from your podcast? No, I am not generating an income for my podcast as yet. My plan with the podcast is use it as a launch towards some of the work that I want to do. Uh, individually with people so more as a funnel than as I like I don't really want to put ads necessarily on the podcast so I could use something like Encore and have uh, automatic ads but right now my plan is more to use it like as a list generator and as a funnel and so just for the audience so here you're doing this podcast you are also still editing for this publication that you mentioned I, I assume uh, well, now I actually am working, I am considered self-employed, but I do a lot of work for one company, which is an e-commerce company. And so uh-huh. that is mostly my day job is with, with e-commerce. And a lot of it is with customer support and some team leading, uh, helping, helping both my coworkers and customers. Great. 
And so you're, I mean, that seems like a very busy day. So you're juggling quite a lot. Talk about your own life balance because the podcast, obviously you're very passionate about it. It's very well done. You have the Instagram, your, your, your regular poster. So that's, that's of course a workflow. And then you have your e-commerce talk about your own life balance, you know, so you've done this change in your life. Is it less existential than before? Yes. Uh, but at the same time, when I was doing the course with, with Seth Gordon, I met this woman, Maria Zenadu, and she talked about a portfolio career. And from her definition, a portfolio career is when you're doing a bunch of different things and upscaling because you're building, you're, you're building blocks for a variety of things. So each thing you do is kind of giving you different skills that broadens your opportunity. I and, love that. Hmm, yeah. And so that really got me thinking about how the podcast and the being a consultant and my full-time job, like how, how do all of those things work together for the vision that I have for my life? And so I don't want, I'm not the kind of person who wants to do the same job for 10 years. And even I've been working with this company for three years and I've done three different jobs in those three years. And so my plan is once it's not exciting anymore, once I'm not learning anymore, I'll be doing something else. And the podcast is a funnel into exploring some of what that some, something else could well, be. What a rich creative outlet is, it's, is it, I mean, you know, doing this podcast, Absolutely. I find it such a rich creative outlet. And I don't even actually know how many people listen. I mean, I get LinkedIn and, you know, Dan and I uh, get feedback, but it, it, we're not doing it because of that. We're doing it because we have conversations like, with you, you know, that, that's what's so enriching, I think. What is so, the, go ahead. Sorry. sorry I'm going to answer your question about uh, balance. And so I actually, my sister is a consultant with social media and management and she manages several people's social media. So I hired her to help me figure out my workflow and my scheduling. That's great. And so she helped me in terms of just with my pacing so that I don't have to be working all the time on the podcast yeah. so that I plan ahead for my interviews so that each week I can have some days when I'm working on the podcast and days when I don't think about the podcast at all, where I, where I do batching and where I'm basically working for three weeks out of the month on the podcast. And one week is completely off from thinking about working on the podcast. I still post on Instagram if I'm if I'm interested in doing it at the time, but it's also not necessary. And so just seeing how she has modeled her own workflow, like she showed me some of her plans, how she does her scheduling, all of that stuff for me was a great shortcut in terms of figuring out, oh, what does my own methodology have to be? Because I was beginning to feel like I'm working on the podcast all the time. Yeah. And a I big thing and a big thing that she told me was okay, if you're spending four hours editing the podcast, what would happen if you only spend two hours editing the podcast? How significant is the quality change from two hours to four hours? And so it's really that releasing that perfectionism piece and being like, okay, one hour or two hours is good enough. Like it, it, it doesn't stand in the way of people actually getting the message of your podcast. So you don't need to spend all of that time as you ordinarily think you do. And I think people are pretty forgiving with podcasts. They really want to hear the conversation and, and the ahas or the, exactly. the, the little mess ups. There, there's something very authentic about it. It's like being yes. in the room with somebody. I mean, I feel yes. like we're in, in, in some nice restaurant. We're having a conversation, <laughs> uh, but we just had that thousand kilometer distance. What have been the biggest pinch points for you and the challenges? So you've, you know, engaged in this journey. You were an educator. You, you took the, 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 courageous choice to kind of go off on your own. And now you're, as I love this idea of the, uh, the portfolio, you know, this idea of building blocks and doing different things. What have been some of the pinch points that you've had to engage with as you've in, done this journey? You know, what have been the challenges maybe that you were like, Ooh, never thought of that. Mm -hmm. The biggest one has been in terms of where I want to live. And so I have remained in Czech Republic, even though I do not 
even though I don't work for a school that sponsors me anymore. And so what, that, that was a, a big one. And it's kind of funny. I like to tell how I made that decision because I often tell people when you can't decide, you can't choose, flip a coin. And I don't mean, I mean a meth- metaphorical coin, not a literal coin. But for me, what that meant with Czech Republic was I wanted to stay in the Czech Republic and I thought I could stay or I could go back to Canada or consider going somewhere else. And so flipping a coin was a see if you can learn enough Czech. That's one of the things I did during my eight-month sabbatical. See if you can learn enough Czech to be able to write the test, the language test for permanent residence. And if you do and you pass and you get permanent residence, you stay in the Czech Republic. And if you don't, you go to Canada. And that's what happened. I learned enough Czech. I resident in the Czech Republic. That's right. Yes. So so now that kind of creative tension is gone and it doesn't matter if you're in Canada or the Czech Republic, you have that permanent residency. Exactly. And I can I can choose. And so of course I can revisit this decision and say, okay, do I do I still want to stay here? But that decision was very easily made without a lot of thought in terms of just flipping that coin. And Damien, why did you stay in the Czech Republic? Because there, you don't have family. I mean, you, you know, I remember hiring you from Japan. You came because of the job and maybe the Czech Republic. But obviously, you now have it. You know, have this relationship with this. Prague is a wonderful city, and the Czech Republic and its people are wonderful too. What you know. Canada seems like, oh, why didn't you go back to Canada? You've got family, you got the language. Uh, talk to us a bit about that decision because the Czech Republic and the Czech language is, first of all, not an easy language to engage with. And yeah, I'm just curious what kept you there. Yeah, and I was just reflecting on this because I was thinking just this week that I'm still not that committed to the Czech Republic in that I have this tension always with the language of how much more effort do I want into learning to put into learning more Czech and do I want to work on towards fluency and the answer is never quite yes and so I think like for me I love living in the Czech Republic somebody asked me yesterday what do I like best about the Czech Republic and what I like about the Czech Republic is the values of the people in terms of people love having their country home they love going out in nature Like I was born in the Caribbean, but I'm not a beach person. I'm much more uh, a mountains person. And that feels like the energy of the Czech Republic in terms of go to your country home, spend some time in the mountains and that kind of thing. I love that it's in the center of Europe and very easy to travel throughout Europe. And so I see Canada has always been there, always been an option for me. But in terms of my exploration and my curiosity about life, Czech Republic is much better a place to explore that than if I were to go to Canada. And that's interesting that you took that uh, language because for people that are not familiar with the Czech Republic, the Czech language is not an easy language to learn. Uh, no, it's it is not. <laughs> And it has a lot of different cases, and there's, it's just a, a complicated language. And so hats off to you for having passed the exam and everything. That's wonderful. So here you are in the Czech Republic. You've got this podcast. And, and if you were going to do something differently, now looking back, and you went down these different roads, is there something you're thinking, God, if I could rewind, I might have done it a little differently? I don't think so. I think, like, I feel like I left teaching or I transitioned from teaching at just the right point. Like, I, I, I didn't deliberate for a long time on this. It was just like, oh, I'm making this decision right now for a few months from now. Like, I think if I had slowed down and said, oh, give yourself one more year, that I'm afraid that I would have, but like, oh, Damien, why didn't you jump? Or why didn't you go for it. So I think I don't really have any regrets about the choices that I made. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I think, you know, one always says that, you know, make sure you have no regrets. I mean, make all your decisions, make your life changes, but don't get into a pattern of regretting not having done something. And I think one of the things that I really resonates with me is that, you know, you made this decision but you maybe didn't deliberate too long. Exactly. And I think this is like, this is something I'm very conscious about not getting stuck 
in this thinking cycles. I, I do have a tendency to overthink and I do like to deliberate about things. And so when it's something important, I like to push myself too. Okay, you've got two months to decide. You've got one month to decide. You, you're going to just decide and see what happens. I try not to get stuck in that deliberation cycle because it's so familiar to me and it would be so easy for me to do. Yeah. And so actually that might've been one of your changes that you didn't deliberate. Yeah, but I didn't deliberate in this case. And I think that's okay. Like I, 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 I don't, I didn't need more time. And so giving yeah. myself more time would not have been helpful here. Now, if you think back on your uh, 14 years working in international schools, what were the learnings from there that maybe you brought into this, uh, into this new, you know, kind of professional world that you're working in, you know, what might have happened in those experiences that really prepared you for this? Well, there are so many. And the one that is top of mind is in terms of working with people that want to work with you. And I think at one point I was taking this course on coaching and I was reading this coaching book and it talked about working with the people who want to work with you. And I said, but I need to work with everybody because when you're a digital coordinator, when you're a digital coach, you have to work with everybody. And then I realized actually how effective are you being at working with the people who don't want to work with you? You're not making a whole lot of progress here. So let's work with the people who actually want to work with us because then what that does is it then provides you an opportunity to amplify through those people. So then you get other champions and other people working in the same direction as you. So you don't have to push as hard. You don't have to do all the work. And yeah. that has kind of stayed with me. The other thing that I learned earlier in my career is about being able to see the positive and not just the room for improvement. I think my first couple of positions, I was very good at seeing all of the spaces with room for improvement and not necessarily stopping and celebrating and acknowledging when we had made progress or what was going well. So that's been an important lesson. And one of the lessons was from you, John, because I remember we would talk about something. I would go to your office and bring up an issue and you would go right there and then to try to solve it. You would be like, well, let's go talk to that teacher. And I'd be like, oh, oh, okay. Like we're just going to get this done right now. And so your prioritization of action over just discussion and discussing and coming up with steps and, and working out a plan, all of that was made a big impact on me and I've told many people this over the years as well. Well, thank you. No, I, I definitely, I'm a little action oriented. So <laughs> and that's why I love your Instagram because every time I walk away, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to take a cold shower. Now. <laughs> you know? So, well, you know, for many educators around the world who are passionate about what they do, you often hear they have, you know, hobbies or passions outside of school and, Sometimes, you know, as maybe you experience, and I think we all do sometimes, there's some doubt, you know, how effective are we? Are we really making the impact we think? Why don't I go and do something else? But the, the, I'm going to call them the golden handcuffs, you know, the, the good salary, whatever, whatever package you have, sometimes it's really hard to see how can I live without that? And it's just so exciting to hear, you know, you made the jump and you gave yourself some time, you planned it, and now you're working in different spaces. What would be some wisdom for the people that are kind of, you know, on the edge and like, I want to jump, but, you know, just can't yet? I want to say two things. So first to the people who are doing, who are in education and who love it. I am so happy that for all of those people who are just passionate and loving and about working with children, like I have some friends. I still have a lot of friends who are educators. And when we talk about education, their passion comes through and they don't want to do anything but teach. And I think that is wonderful. And I think if, if COVID has taught us anything, it's about how much appreciation we need to show for all of you who are of this nature. For the people who are kind of tethered and uh, want to jump, but, but have that idea of that golden handcuff, well, it's about values, right? It's about what is really important to you. And so if you decide that the money really is more important to you, then keep at it. Although you're probably doing a disservice to the children that you teach and to yourself as well. <laughs> but if you really feel this 
unsettled nature in you, in your soul, in your being, whatever you believe in, then make a plan. Consider what's the smallest action you can take that will actually help you make progress towards living education, towards finding a new career. Maybe if we think about the portfolio career, it's that you doubt your expertise in something else. So where could you grow your skills? Maybe what you need to do is you need to research what skills you have as an educator that can transfer into something else. I'd say like break it down into little steps because I think often what happens in those situations where there is inaction is that we get overwhelmed by what could we possibly do here. Like I don't even know where to start. Well, if you don't know where to start, then think about breaking it down into smaller pieces in terms of what's the smallest thing you can do. What's one thing you can do that will help you start to see a pathway towards what you want. And I think that's something that I definitely feel in the podcast and in your Instagram. It's about really thinking about starting small, yeah. you know, a chunk it, break it down. Don't, you know, don't get too overwhelmed by the big picture. What is a one little step and kind of this building block idea? Exactly. Yeah. Like you got it, you get a new classroom, you get a new class that you've never taught before. And all of a sudden your principal says you need to teach this class. You're overwhelmed, but you still figure it out. Apply the same thing to your life in terms of chunk it, break it down into what you can do today, tomorrow, day by day. Fantastic. Damien, it's so great to talk to you and really uh, to the audience, check out the Instagram, the blogs, and Damien also has this podcast and definitely check out her blog. And thank you, Damien, for taking the time. And uh, it's great to see you. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of your podcast and your Instagram. So keep, uh, keep sharing because I think uh, there's some really powerful things that you're uh, sharing out to this audience and to everybody that uh, is connected with you. Thank you. Thank you, John. I really enjoyed chatting with you today, as I always do. <laughs>